Kyle, thanks so much for joining Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we are welcoming Vamshi Ganakola, who is the COO of Direct Shifts. Vamshi, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you, and you have a really amazing story about why your work at Direct Shifts is important to you. So I'd love to know briefly, what is Direct Shifts? What do you do? And then what is the passion that drives you in this business? Thanks for asking that question, uh, because our mission drives us every day. At Direct Shifts, um, what we do is we're actually attempting to solve the complex and complicated challenge of healthcare staffing through utilizing better technology and solutions that will work for both our healthcare employers and for the clinicians together. In simple words, what we do is we actually create a matchmaking for the employers who create the jobs and the clinicians who are actually in search for those jobs or staffing opportunities. We are a tech-enabled platform, a staffing platform that actually helps employers post their staffing opportunities with respect to physicians or nurses, medical assistants, therapists, et cetera. And our platform actually goes to work for them by taking their requirements and searching for the right clinician in our database and external databases and does the match and helps them go through the whole recruitment process or the on-demand staffing process through digital means by digitizing the credentialing and verification process. So essentially a tech-enabled matchmaking and recruitment staffing process to ensure staffing is much more easier, cost-effective, and happier for both clinicians and employers together. That's what we do. And our mission really drives us because we started this predominantly after looking at the problems that healthcare organizations face today and clinicians face today. Everybody talks about shortage of clinicians. I agree with it. There potentially is a shortage if you just look at the numbers. But we truly feel, and we've designed our mission for that, which is there is latent capacity that is also perceived as shortage, which can be extracted through technology and digital means and help our healthcare employers and clinicians utilize the latent capacity to reduce that shortage to action. By that, I mean, there is potentially people that are willing to pick up work, but do not know where that work exists. There are potentially jobs that exist that could offer those opportunities, but they have to find the right people. So that latent capacity continues to exist, which is still perceived as shortage. And our mission is using this AI-based technology solutions, and of course, the human factor, to extract that latent capacity, have a better match service for both the clinicians and the employers, and reduce the staffing challenges at the same time. And you have a pretty amazing story that happened during COVID, making a connection. Can you tell us that? Every time I think about, am I doing good work? Am I doing right work in the field of healthcare? Because healthcare is so close to me. Um, older brother is a physician, you know, one of the best physicians I've ever seen. I've, I've, I've been trained by nurses, I probably say that. I actually ran a staffing office multiple years ago, um, helped them run the staffing office with data. That's how my healthcare journey started. Uh, so healthcare is pretty, pretty close to me, uh, and I'm a data analytics and technology professional trained specifically for healthcare. That's how I would look at it. 
And every time I think about, am I contributing you know, to my healthcare space, I think of this story. We had a chief operating officer of a hospital call us one evening frantically asking us like, do you have any ICU doctors ready to go? And this was during the peak of COVID. And you know, ICU doctors, ICU nurses were the most sought after clinicians during the peak of COVID. And then I took a step back and asked, what's going on? What's, what's, what's troubling you? It's pretty late in the night, something keeping you awake. They had 27 patients in the ICU and both their ICU doctors had to quarantine because of COVID. They had 27 patients and they are, they're frantically trying to move the mountains to get coverage for those patients. We said, sure, we'll go to work for you. Let's, let's do our best. We triggered our engine. Luckily, they were our existing clients already. So we had the information already. We triggered our engine, went to search for them. We have our own database where we collect a lot of the preferences and availabilities of clinicians so that we can use those as parameters to match with the requirements. We did that. We even went to outside databases. The whole evening, later in the evening, our engine was working for them. We were also making calls. We have people that work out on top of the engine as well. Within six hours, we found them, an ICU doctor, who was actually an anesthesiologist who was board certified in critical care medicine. We found the doctor, because we were able to expand the search using technology, found the doctor, personally requested the doctor that he should take care of the 27 patients, although that's a huge workload, and promised him that we will be able to find him a PA within a few hours. Went to search for a PA, got the PA, so by the next morning, the ICU was covered with an ICU doctor and a PA and uh, continues to be one of our best stories ever, which is utilizing platform like ours and power of technology and the human touch to really make sure you find the right staffing at the right time. Wow. Yeah, it's so inspiring, Vamshi. It makes me uh, really proud that uh, I've shared some of this journey with you in a, in a different incarnation. So hats off to you for the great work you're doing. Uh, I'd, I'd love to make a connection to that, to that story and the point you were making earlier, that in addition to the technology and the human touch, uh, you're really helping uh, uh, your clients figure out latent capacity. Uh, and you, you had said it really nicely early on when we were chatting that before you look outside, you look inside. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about exactly how you go about doing that and how much latent capacity you actually find within a system. My work has focused on helping organizations better plan, be more predictive with respect to how you staff your organizations. Being more predictive will give you that much more time to bring in the right resources at the right time. But then we also figured out as we were starting direct shifts, which is to solve how do you source external staffing much faster, quicker, at a lower cost, and eliminate those barriers in sourcing external staffing and external resources through digital means. What clicked with us was organizations that have the scale, like health systems that are five plus hospitals or, or even three plus hospitals with, with big scale. They can actually first look at, are they maximizing the utilization of their internal resources first, which is always a good thing to do because, you know, it goes greatly with the internal resources as well. It actually adds to their satisfaction. Nothing satisfies a nurse than practicing nursing. Let me be very clear. Nothing, it's, nothing satisfies a physician than practicing medicine. 
when we can talk about a lot of parameters, you know, grades, money being one, location being one, et cetera, but they want to practice at the top of their license. That's the topmost. So what clicked with us was our organizations looking at, are there resources internally that are not fully utilized? Can they practice their nursing or their medicine elsewhere if we opened up that opportunity? But we know there are a lot of internal barriers, both cultural and technological barriers exist to those things. So what we started to do work on was, can you turn the platform inside, post opportunities inside and do a better matchmaking of your existing resources based on their availability and their potential and their credentials and privileges? Can they pick up some of these opportunities so you can maximize your internal opportunities first, internal resources first, and then plan to bring on external resources as needed. I think it is clicking a lot with a lot of organization. I think that's, that's still an opportunity that many organizations have tried and continue to try. So we are proud uh, to really change or pivot our technology in a way that can actually help them do this while also helping them source external resources faster, quicker, and cheaper. Is that the biggest mistake that people who are hiring medical professionals make to not look internally at that latent capacity before starting to look externally? It is, it is one of the mistakes, but I think it is, it is very much an involuntary error that happens because that information does not exist, right? It's not apparent out there. Like for example, all these big employee resource management tools that organizations are using, to my knowledge, none of them facilitates this. None of them says, oh, okay, this particular resource, let's say an, an oncology nurse working in, a, in an oncology outpatient setting, um, what is precluding that oncology nurse? You know, sometimes they want to be a nurse or precluding them from probably coming and running some supervision on a COVID test. Nothing precludes them, actually. You know, there's a lot of skill mix barriers that got completely deleted during COVID. Previously, they were like, oh, no, no, you belong to this department. You have to stay in that department, all of that. But what tool can facilitate having that information available? Well, there are some resources here that have some capacity, that have some availability that you could utilize here. There is, there is not many good tools that can do that today. Um, and all of these existing scheduling systems and all of them, they claim to do that, but they end up becoming record-keeping softwares versus anything. Not truly you know, intelligent machines that can help the managers tell them like, hey, it looks like there is opportunity of utilizing these resources. That's what we are trying to do by tapping into that information, parameterizing that information, understanding what kinds of credentials when one holds will allow them to work in what kinds of settings and then start to do the matching of those things so that they can appropriately utilize internal resources to the maximum extent. Without a tool like that, Vamshi, it sounds like um, the insight would just be missing, right? So it's, a, it's an oversight on people's parts because again, as you're saying, the data isn't there, uh, which, which makes me think of another, another point that you had uh, mentioned earlier and that was that ultimately you're the other mindset, uh, mindset uh, change that you're trying to bring to clients is for them to think about their workforce as an investment. Uh, maybe you can comment a little bit more about that. Absolutely, of course. Um, you know, just to take take one more step back and talk about the point that you mentioned, which is the lack of insight 
which is very important. There is a lot of work that is going on now from many companies, many organizations that are trying to create more easily available insights to organizations, to healthcare organizations. For example, um, care variation. I do know this approach to, to the T. Um, like we see this particular physician is using more tests than this other physician. So what's going on? And then it's not that the physician loves like ordering more tests. It's just that information is not available. Well, there's probably a protocol information that was not available, but once decision support systems are able to bring that out, you are able to minimize the variation. But there's been so much work that is going on in the clinical decision support world in bringing out insights. There is not that much work that is going on on the human capital side in bringing out those insights. That is, that is, that is where I think our, our work and energy lies. And, and it is a nice segue into the question that you asked, which is a lot of times healthcare workforce, healthcare human capital is bucketed under cost of care. You know, you talk about it as cost of care. Everybody talks about 60, 57% of my cost of care is, is workforce, labor, et cetera. But I think that narrative has to shift towards healthcare human capital is an investment towards outcomes. So you really have to constantly monitor the health of your investment, the health of your workforce, constantly monitor your ability to maximize the utilization of that investment, of that workforce, your ability to track what keeps them engaged um, and you know, what, what should we be doing more proactively, healthcare leaders be doing more proactively to make sure they're getting the best outcomes out of that investment versus constantly looking at it as cost of care, productivity measures, labor compensations, et cetera, versus how can I invest into that particular resource pool so that we get better outcomes and we are better prepared for future I think that's where the shift of the narrative and shift of the thinking has to happen. There are ways to do it. It doesn't come naturally. I think there are ways to do it, uh, uh, but that's where some of our work also lies in helping organizations look at it as an investment towards outcomes. What are some of those ways that employers can do that? Because when you have something like COVID come up, what do you do? Everybody's scrambling. And I think the natural thinking is just throw money at it. Let's pay these people more. Let's get them here. What do we do? How can you prepare for that? The equivalent of building a bomb shelter so that you're ready all the time. That's a great, great question. It's a great question. It's not even my view. Uh, Banner, one of the leading healthcare organizations, published an article. I think it was in uh, Modern Healthcare or HFMA, I don't remember, saying just-in-time staffing Help does have a lot of cash at hand in the last few years, but it killed us during COVID. Banner, you know, a healthcare organization which is pretty reputable, clearly suggesting that their staffing mechanisms of staffing to the exact demand or looking at the past and using productivity kind of techniques to kind of reduce cost of labor, et cetera, help them get more savings but that method did not help them be prepared for what is actually coming through. So the bottom line of that was your workforce will feel better if you actually give them a feeling and an evidence that you are prepared for the future. And it doesn't need to be 10 years from now, next month, next three months, what are we going to look like? What do we need? And where are we today? 
How are we going to work together to make sure our demand is met in the next three months, six months versus looking at, oh, last two weeks, we did not meet this target. What's going on? Um, you know, that's, that's one, way to, one way to put it. Like be more proactive, predictive, and make sure the workforce always knows that you are trying to prepare for the next near, near-term future. The second thing that I believe organizations have not done a great job in factoring is looking at what is the backfill? What is the need for backfill, right? I mean, you say, okay, I need, let's talk staffing now. I need five FTEs. Oh, well, I have five FTEs. But it's not sufficient if you need five FTEs and if you have five FTEs. But some of them are probably going to go on leave. Some of them may have to quarantine because of COVID, just like the example that I just shared with you. So how do you really quantitatively and more algorithmically create what that backfill need is and prepare for it right now. Most of the times organizations are short-staffed because they've not factored or predicted what the backfill need is. A lot of them do a great work in predicting what my census is going to be. There is so many models to predict COVID census, non-COVID patient census. I couldn't even like list them now. There are so many scientific models now, but there are not good models to predict what my supply is going to look like in the next two months, how much attrition am I going to face, how much backfill do I have to plan for, et cetera, et cetera. So that is one thing. When organizations plan for that in a better way, by default, the workforce will feel more comfortable because they will feel that they're covered, right? If they are going on leave, they'll feel they're covered. So that's another simple technique to use to make sure you're prepared for the future and you're showcasing to your workforce that you look at them as an investment because you give them the feeling that they're covered. Mm. Ramshi, it reminds me of the client situations that we faced uh, uh, together, actually, and, and one of my clients right now is facing the situation. You mentioned looking a couple of months in advance. What about uh, even just the day ahead? Uh, our clients often express, uh, you know, some some struggle because day to day, also they're not really able to predict when they're going to suddenly experience a surge in capacity, both on the physician side and the nursing side. So, is your solution something that can actually help our clients uh, be able to better respond to some of those sudden surges that come almost unannounced? Yeah, um, we're not doing a lot of work in the next day kind of staffing situation right now upward, but we could. I think when we work with some more organizations on turning this internal engine up, they would be able to move people around to take care of the day-to-day surges. Absolutely, that is possible. Um, we, are, we are definitely taking some strides towards that. But my uh, point has been, there are a lot of scheduling tools now, there are a lot of staffing tools now that will actually tell you, give you a reasonable idea of what would happen the next day. Uh, there's a lot of information there. Um, um, you know, the Clairvias of the world, um, you know, the APIs of the world, they're actually giving you good information on, oh, looks like you're trending towards having a higher census tomorrow being Thursday, uh, but you were only scheduled for five people, you might need a sixth one. That, I think there is good enough information. The thing is, as an healthcare administrator, and most people know this, and I'm having like, literally run a staffing office, I know this. I can only do so much for tomorrow. I I only have so many levers to pull if I have to do something for tomorrow. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to floor people, call people, ask them to come in, do extra shifts. Or worst scenario, I'm calling a contingency agency 
and say, I need somebody tomorrow and they quote me like 3x the price. I have nothing to do but like say, okay, fine. Our approach has been like, what can you do a month in advance? You know, a little bit ahead in advance. How can you predict these things in advance and keep a good pool of resources ready that the administrators that are doing the day-to-day staffing are able to pull from? So how do you create those strategies well in advance? How do you keep faster sourcing mechanisms from external pools, faster matching mechanisms from internal pools so that the day-to-day you have more levers to pull? That has been the focus of our work, uh, like creating more contingency pools so that even day-to-day management becomes easier because now you have a bigger pool to draw from. Maybe maybe to be a little bit more provocative, and I, and I don't want to mean to put you on the spot, but I'd love to tease this out in our discussion. Uh, we were talking earlier about how staffing shortages are are ubiquitous. They're throughout the country, really. Even, even our, the states like Massachusetts, which are supposedly the best staffed per capita in, in terms of physicians and specialties, are struggling because they have shortages of internal medicine physicians, psychiatrists, dermatologists. If we're struggling in Massachusetts, how are we ever going to solve this in Montana or Alabama? So I guess I, I wonder what you think, uh, and I and I get the point that you're you're really trying to help them solve the problem through di- uh, different means. But do you ultimately think that we uh, we just have to change the models of care? Uh, we'll just never really have enough staffing uh, to solve all these uh, crises that are coming up. No, that's a great point. Um, for, uh, you did put me on spot there because people listening to this may uh, this is a, uh, a disclaimer right here. Uh, people listening to this may disagree with me and I'm totally fine with it. You know, it's a, it's a good debate. I fundamentally think there is a need for um, a shift in, in, in the care models, the change of care models. There is no way the same traditional care can be provided with um, this kind of shortage that is going on in resources. And I have read that there are more physicians going out of practice now than before. Now, I couldn't statistically validate it. I don't have the numbers with me, but I believe that is true because we deal with physicians every day. I mean, uh, we have a database of 250,000 physicians on our on our platform, uh, and we speak with a lot of them every day, uh, and we see the shortage for sure. So creating access through different means, creating a different skill mix model, like continuing to evolve the good combination of physicians versus nurse practitioners, continuing to have a good dialogue and practice of what is the right nurse to patient ratios. Um, you know, how can it be more acuity-based? Everybody thinks acuity-based is actually going to increase the shortage. It is not. An acuity-based model is actually going to solve the shortage because you always think about, well, that means I'm having to staff more. No, there will be situations where you'll actually be able to staff less because you're able to show the nurse the seven patients are less acute patients. You can handle them. So having a good dialogue on all these things, the right skill mix, the right care model. You don't have to always always see them in an office setting. That is changing now. Find the right acuity-based discussions. All of those things are necessary to solve the shortage of staffing. Just trying to match the staffing with jobs is not going to be a solution at all. I will watch for it every day, although I want to tell the whole world that direct shift is a solution to staffing. It is not. It is going to enable whatever better care means and models that you come up with it, we will enable that through technology and our our services. But there is a fundamental need um, for care models to evolve quicker 
to continue to provide higher access to care because access to care needs are not going down. They're only going up. So we have to redesign those care models, acuity models, and skill mix models in order to keep cope up with that demand. Absolutely. Through all of your work in healthcare over the years and now through your work at DirectShifts, what's the number one thing that you've learned and that you would tell other people the most important message? That is now putting me on spot because that will definitely, definitely make me think a lot. Um, you know, I, I, it, this will probably take a couple of minutes because I want to reminisce on how I actually how I actually entered into healthcare. Um, my foray into healthcare was very accidental. My brother, who was, uh, who was in uh, MD training back then, I was visiting him. Um, he put me in touch with um, you know, some of his deans and others they were working on, and I started to look at their scheduling process, and they're like trying to write schedules manually. And I was like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, I can put all this in Excel. So I kind of showed my brother we can actually build a simple, nice scheduling model in Excel and automate all of these things. And then he went and showed it to some of his colleagues and they all loved it. And I'm like, well, this naturally came to me because at that time I was working in you know, e-commerce and retail. Naturally came to me, it was a long time ago, 14, 15 years ago. Why did it not come naturally to healthcare? And then I started to kind of work with them more. Um, so I think the fundamental message that um, I have taken away over the last 15 years is um, everybody says, well, the technology adoption in healthcare always lags, but it actually lags for a reason. It doesn't lag because people are not uh, wanting uh, to actually see the solution, but healthcare actually needs to evaluate solutions a lot more than any other industry. Because I truly believe there is no other industry, probably like only the, the airplane design and manufacturing industry. There's no other industry out there that will immediately, an error will immediately result in huge human consequences that are irreparable. Healthcare is one such. And you could go wrong with the technology adoption at a bank, like what's going to happen? They'll, they'll bring another tool, right? That's not the case in, in healthcare. So that's what I've actually learned over the years. I've always thought for the first five years, like, why can't you take this? It's like simple. It's empty to come on, take and adopt it. And then I slowly start to understand that there needs to be clinical oversight. There needs to be financial oversight. There needs to be logistical oversight. There needs to be multiple oversights within a certain solution, especially a technological solution, before it passes the test of the healthcare field. That is my big takeaway. So I would strongly recommend people that are designing newer solutions to be more patient, to be more cognitive of the, the lens that healthcare solutions have to go about. If you want to do good work, you got to stay more patient within the healthcare field. That's my biggest takeaway, especially with now the traditional technology players trying to ha have a foray into healthcare field, which is great. It's never say no. That's how I became, you know, a healthcare professional. But I think there is a need for everybody to not judge that. Oh well, this is going to fail because of this or that. Or oh well, this technology taking over. No, I think it's going to pass its own lens and go through its own lens and people trying to implement solutions have to be more patient with with the healthcare field and then the technology adoption will happen that is my biggest learning over the past 10 years
That's a fascinating insight. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation and appreciate you being here. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed the last 35 minutes or so. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.